This is Zash Raymond, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello and welcome to our World Cup special podcast. Whilst it would be remiss of us not to acknowledge the various controversies surrounding the tournament, as well as the human rights records in Qatar, we wanted to keep this one light-hearted and focus on the festival of football in front of us. Well, I thought the best place to start with this one would be to acknowledge the fact that one of our group is actually going to the World Cup. That is our very own Tristan, who will uh, be in the Serbia end, I'm led to believe, for all three group games. Uh, Tristan, how are you uh, looking forward to it? Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. I'm, not, I'm actually not going to the Brazil one. I'd, um, it's, a, it's a similar, very similar group to the one we had in Russia that I also went to. And we had Brazil and Switzerland in, in, in the group for that. And um, just time-wise, I didn't. <laughs> didn't want to spend too much time in Qatar, so um, Brazil was the, the 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 easier one to sort of lop off and and be able to resell the ticket easily because obviously everyone wants to see Brazil at the World Cup. So yeah, um, the the first one for me would be the Cameroon game and and, and looking forward to it. Um, I, I actually it'd be the the fifth World Cup I've I've gone to and um, we've not really done very well um from a from a Yugoslav or Serbia point of view for the last three or four World Cups. So um haven't got out of group stages since ninety eight. Um so yeah, I I'm quite bullish this year, assuming we can keep uh, some of the some of the key players that are, are currently a bit niggly with injury. None 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 more so than Mitro obviously, but Vlajevic as well has got a got a knock. So yeah, it's um it's going to be interesting and be very different the work the world cup um this this time around i'm staying on a cruise ship so not on the the, the mainland of qatar um so i'm sure i'll make the most of the bars and restaurants on there perfect and i think uh, another member of the podcast tonight sam has some uh, wise words of advice for tristan ahead of the tournament sam i'll uh, throw it to you here yeah no it's uh, great to hear that tristan's going i hope he, he has a good time over there um and stay safe because it's very easy to land yourself in in unexpected trouble. And I know this from experience because I pretty much saved his life at the 2006 World Cup. Um, I'd gone over with my pal. Uh, we'd actually got tickets for all three Ukraine games in the ballot uh, before it was fashionable to have Ukraine flags in your social media bios. Um And Tristan was over there, I think, supporting uh, Serbia and Montenegro, as it was at the time. And we'd made loose plans in the build-up to to meet up while we were over there. So we were going to these Ukraine games, but we were using Berlin as our base. Um, and the great thing about the World Cup was that you could just travel around on public transport. We had a ticket for 30 days. We could do what we liked. But we arranged to meet Tristan in Berlin. I think, were you, were you coming back from Leipzig? Had you been to the... Yeah, I was the, the the Holland game on the, I think it was the Monday because the, the Serbia-Holland game was, was on the on the, on the Sunday. And I was in like yeah Leipzig and Leipzig to Germany across the top of the country is not too bad so yeah it sort of fitted in. Uh, so we we'd flown uh, in from Stansted. It had been a really long day, um, sort of a six a.m. flight, and then we landed at an airport nowhere near Berlin, so we had to travel across. And I was ratty and 
Tristan was kind of <laughs> trying to make arrangements and we arranged to meet at like the main central station in Berlin. Um, and Tristan had got there before us and I'm, I was getting more texts like, are you going to be long? Are you going to be long? And then he phoned me and he was all quite panicky. And it was, I was on, he's like, is there a game on in Berlin today? And I was like, so I kind of got my, my little uh, MIDI wall chart out and I knew Brazil were playing. I was like, yeah, it's Brazil versus Croatia. And obviously uh, I'm sure everyone's aware of Croatia and Serbian relations and sort of the small matter of an independence war. Um, but it turns out Tristan had turned up in Berlin pretty much in full Serbia and Montenegro kit and was getting uh, some increasingly um, fraught looks from hundreds of people inside the train station who had turned up to see Croatia. I'd, I'd go more towards hostile than fraught, to be honest. They weren't. They didn't look particularly fraught. They they looked murderous. Um, and and it, yeah, it wasn't just a full Serbia kit. I was draped <laughs> in a massive flag and light lit. Other than having my face painted, it, it couldn't have been much more. And and I just just on the story because Sam wasn't there at that point. But at one one point, the police kind of came over to have a word with me and and were going down the route of actually threatening to deport me at one stage. They couldn't believe <laughs> that someone would turn up at a game, that uh, a place that Croatia were playing with all this Serbia stuff, unless they were there deliberately to provoke and cause a mass <laughs> incident. So, By the time I'd, uh, I turned up to meet you, you were pretty much, well, you were half naked, certainly. Um, <laughs> and... Uh... Yeah, that was police advice. <laughs> yeah, De- desperately asking if you could borrow a, a shirt out of my, my suitcase that I turned up with. So I gave you, it was just at the time that Fulham had started doing retro shirts. So I think I had a, mm. a 1982 away shirt and um, you gave, you've never given it back, by the way. Um, just... No, I, I, I wear it to bed. So I, I sob myself to sleep in it sometimes, Sam. <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't quite work out at that time if you were going to get arrested for provoking a riot or indecent exposure. Uh um good day but that was a good start to the 2006 world cup don't do that again it's i i can honestly say that yeah i managed to watch serbia lose 6-0 to argentina which was their record ever international defeat including as as yugoslavia in the the sort of decades before it was the biggest ever international defeat and that wasn't the low point of the trip <laughs> thanks to that that uh, berlin escapade so yeah thanks for thanks for that reminder yeah, yeah, you owe me. Well, not really quite sure how uh, how I can follow that story. Um, I certainly don't have any uh, World Cup memories of that ilk, but I guess we'll uh, already kick on now. And I just wanted to get everyone's favourite World Cup memory to start with. Um, Dan, I'll start with you. <sighs> yeah, yeah, like you, I don't know how I'll follow that up, to be honest. Mine's pretty unoriginal. Um to be honest with you, I mean, my birthday usually comes during the World Cup in June. Uh, 1990, my second birthday, don't remember that. Uh, didn't qualify for 94 or England. Uh, so my first memories of World Cups would be 98 in France. And I suppose a standout moment from that, unfortunately, has to be uh, David Beckham getting sent off. Um, and I think... I mean, England have never really, in my lifetime, set the world alight at World Cups. Uh, I think Euros have been more iconic. Um, so, my, I think my favourite moment of World Cups would be the David Beckham story. You know, going from absolutely hated and a villain 
to, you know, from one World Cup to the next, becoming the hero and a national treasure. I mean, he scored the, the free kick to get us to the 2002 World Cup. And then against Argentina, again in the group stages, scores the goal uh, to win the game. So, you know, going full circle. Uh, and for me, you know, whether you are a fan of Beckham or not, I think the way he turned it around so quickly um, is something to be admired. So that would probably be my most memorable moment of the World Cups. Um, and on a, on a side note, um, one that I didn't realise at the time, but with hindsight, as you know, has, has be, become a, a lovely moment to look back on. The the great Papa Booba Diop, you know, we creating one of the the most the the most famous underdog moments of the um, of World Cup history. You know, the opening game of the 2002 World Cup, France had won back-to-back tournaments, the World Cup and the Euros, went into this one as favourites as well. And, and it was Senegal's first ever competition. Um, and, you know, Papa um, scores the winning goal. They win the game and, and you know, I still, still can picture them in the corner, dancing around the shirt and celebrating by the corner flag. And, you know, well, I think we all dearly miss Papa. Uh, but he certainly gave his, his country you know, one of their greatest moments. So, yeah, I think from a neutral point of view, that has to be up there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sam, how about you? Yeah, just reflecting on that that moment, actually. Um, that was a, a wonderful moment. I also had £5 on Senegal to beat France at 7-1. to one. Um, So, yeah, for you youngsters, that, that was a lot of money back in uh, 2002. Um, <laughs> um, my favourite memory probably slash earliest memory as well have very very faint memories of the 86 World Cup but 1990 was was my first and I think there's something always sort of special about your first um, and it was such an iconic World Cup as well because the game was changing so much and and really the the world the world landscape was changing um, and it was just for for people of my generation, it's a it's a World Cup that's looked back on with real sort of rose tinted nostalgia, and the footage of Gaza's tears and Roger Miller dancing after scoring and Toto Scalacci just just banging the goals in Nessun Dorma. It has such a like a, a sort of a wonderful wonderful place in like people's memories. But really, the football was pretty dreadful. Um, it was sort of really drab and cynical and it was sort of littered with a lot of yellow and red cards and I think it's the the lowest uh, scoring like on average World Cup that has ever been um, but as I say I think for for my generation that's still the World Cup that we all kind of look back on so fondly. Yeah definitely one of the classics I mean it's a bit before my time but uh, yeah I've, I've read lots about it and I've seen a few videos and sort of films from that sort of kind of obviously uh, read a few articles as well. So yeah, it seemed like a an, an amazing tournament. Definitely one to look back on. Obviously ended in tears for England, but uh, when don't they? Let's be honest. Um, Tristan, uh, what is your favourite favourite or earliest World Cup memory? Well, uh, earliest I just remember. I, I I kind of move one one World Cup further than than, than Sam. So really, the I I remember bits of the eighty two World Cup. 
remember Mexico quite well. Um, but but ninety, yeah, it's it's my favourite World Cup. I'd slightly challenge Sam on 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 the fact that the football was atrocious. It was quite low scoring, but I didn't think the foot. I thought England's games were quite often atrocious. And if you look at the score lines in the group games, that I mean, the one all against Ireland was just one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. Holland nil nil, only beating Egypt one nil. Um, you know, you know what the, the Belgian. It was game, only Belgium only seven side, goals scored in those six group that. games. It was it was poor. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it, and it what well, you know. So there were, but there were some great. For, and and actually, the thing I'd remember from that World Cup, because personally, and and anyone that knows me knows this is is traditionally my favourite position on the field is that classic number ten, and that World Cup just had so many of them. You know, Shifo, Haji, Stoikovic, Stoichkov, Maradona. Mateus, you know, it was just Valderrama. It was an endless Baggio, an endless list of world-class number tens. And Gas Gascoigne, I mean, I think he played eight, but he played in a ten role for for, for most of the World Cup. Absolutely, it, you know, it was it was Kareka. You you know, there's the the more you go Maradona. You know, the more you go on, the more you you kind of remember those. And there were some great great games. You know, the comment about Diop. Um, you, you, you know, I'd, 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 I'd replicate that with the Cameroon beating Argentina down to nine men, um, kicking Canadia all around the park and, and nicking a one nil, which was the first time an African side won any World Cup game and they beat the defending champions Argentina to, to do so. But my moment would be um, from a personal point of view. And, and, and I'd just say if anyone hasn't seen or hasn't had the chance to see the the Sky, the um, documentary that's on at the moment, the um, about Italia ninety, and it's called the, the the World Cup, the four weeks that changed the world. The second episode of that is there's a lot of it is on Yugoslavia and Yugoslavia. It was their last tournament as a united country. It was also USSR's last tournament. It was also Czechoslovakia's last last tournament as united country. And Germany were playing as. Western East Germany at the time. So it was a very different political landscape. And Yugoslavia broke up 10 months later. And there's a big part of that second episode on that. And and, and it was the, it, it's a hell of a story around Yugoslavia and that their, set, their, their, their second round knockout, the last 16 against Spain, who were absolute heavyweights at the time and heavy favourites. And, and Dragan Stojkovic, who was one of my... Well, he was my favourite player growing up, and he's 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 always been one of my all-time favourite players. He was a magnificent, magnificent footballer. Um, scored two amazing goals in that game to to put Yugoslavia through to the quarters against against you know Spain, who were one of the tournament favourites. So, I'd I'd pick that as my kind of favourite moment, and it was it was a. a Probably the moment that I truly fell in love with World Cup football, um, and and it all ended in heartbreaking on a penalty shoot out to Argentina in the next round. But it, it you, you know that 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 one moment, and actually the thing that it covers very nicely in the documentary that I mentioned on Sky is is that a country that was quite against the football team and wanted them to lose because it was on the verge of breaking up suddenly all just got behind the team after that Spain game and 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 there was just this 
brief period of a few days where everyone in Yugoslavia was just uh, you know support supporting that national team again and 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 I think a lot of people will look back at that with 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 fondness um considering what then happened afterwards yeah no of course um that's really nice I've been trying to think of my sort of earliest or favorite world cup memories um there's not been too many in my sort of 21 years I guess the first tournament I ever watched was the um the 2006 world cup uh, although I don't really remember too many of the games from that. I remember like watching the film, the after sort of the after film of that with all the sort of you know the players, the goals, the matches, and that's um, that's quite a vivid memory for me. But the actual tournament itself is uh, a bit of a, a distant memory, which is a shame because I guess that's when I really caught the you know the football bug. But so I guess my first proper World Cup memory would be the um, the 2010 World Cup would be um, that England versus USA game, sort of the first. England game at the World Cup I've ever been old enough to properly remember watching and uh, it was about four minutes in and I think we had the ball on the edge of the box I think it was Steven Gerrard and then all of a sudden it, um, it cut to an ad break um, on the TV and then four or five seconds later we were back having uh, seen the offer for half price tyres and uh, England were 1-0 up so all that four years of waiting just for uh, to miss my first goal in a TV break so I guess that would be my sort of earliest memory as far as a favourite memory goes, um, I don't really know. I mean, 2014 was dismal on pretty much all accounts. So I guess the, my favourite memory would have to be um, that penalty shootout against Colombia. Um, I watched it on Brighton Beach with a couple of my friends. And yeah, it was just incredible to think we might actually win one of those things for once. And then Eric Dyer stuck that ball, I think it was in the bottom left corner. And uh, yeah, it went crazy. So hoping for more similar memories this time around. Yeah, it was um, yeah, great to hear such a contrasting set of um, opinions and experiences there. Uh, let's uh, let's have a talk now about the six full players hold going on, to hold this. On. If you're going to talk about World Cup memories, the United States really only have one. Okay. Okay. So I will tell you briefly the best moment for the United States and my actual earliest moment, and that is 1994. We actually got to host the World Cup. And this was a big effing deal, okay? Because the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, football in the United States, soccer, Americans, was abysmal, non-existent, awful, okay? So in the 90s, we're hosting. We actually did okay for once. And we didn't make ourselves look like complete idiots. Uh, we actually got out of the group stage we got into the round of 16, and the game that knocked us out, very controversial, uh, against uh, Italy. Or no, no, I'm sorry. It was Brazil, Brazil. We're playing Brazil, and in the 40-some minutes or so, if VAR had been in existence, this would have been a doozy for them. The American player... It gets tangled up, you know, like they always do nowadays with a Brazilian player. Only the Brazilian player, in the middle of being tangled up, he throws an elbow to the face of the American. Completely gives him an a open wound and everything else. That guy's done for the game. As the American goes down, falls on the ground, another Brazilian player comes running over and stomps on the American. So the ref sees that, but not the elbow. So he gives the player for stomping a red card. 
But if you watch the video at the TV at the time, they kept going back and showing you the violent elbow. So if VAR had been in existence, that would have been two reds. And maybe then we would have had a chance to actually beat Brazil because uh, they did go on to win the World Cup and everything. But we held our own to like the 80th minute or something, 70th minute when they finally broke through and scored. But up until that point... We were really proud of, of these guys. They, they really fought hard. They, they got out of the, uh, or they looked like they were going to, you know, get out of the knockouts, keep going. But that was our, our time, time to shine. And it, it was, like I said, it was pretty good. We at least got out of the group stages. And we didn't look like complete fools. So my earliest memory and best memory. It's, it's, it's interesting, Don. I, I spent a bit of time with some American fans in Russia um, crazy guys. They basically went to well, America. Didn't even qualify, and they went. They went anyway, um, and because they just love going to the World Cups. Um, and and you know, speaking to them, and they said that was actually the moment that World Cup where, you know, usually the states if they qualified, there'd be at least one game in the group where they got a hide in, where they you know they lose four or five one to someone. They generally not. And and although after that they were still quite often losing the games it changed completely and the defeats were quite often one nil and you know you know tight games and 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 the step up really happened after that world cup in terms of the us becoming a credible international we had decent team. defenders back then and just like our current team we struggled with the going forward creativity and finishing mm. so but for me it really gave football a kick in the ass here in the States and really kind of propelled it to where, you know, it's grown so much because of that. You know, it, it, that was the defining moment in the United States for World Cup. I thought you were going to choose Diana Ross's penalty. In the- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. You'll have problems with finishing if Diana Ross is on penalties. I, actually, that, that World Cup, USA 94, is probably my biggest regret when it comes to, to World Cups because as a petulant 14-year-old, I was so dismayed by England failing to qualify that I really didn't engage with the tournament at all. And in hindsight, it was an absolutely brilliant tournament with some like standout games, standout moments. And I wish I'd been as invested as I should have been four years after Italia 90. Um, so again, think about this. If VAR had been around and there'd been two red cards in that game, okay? And then let's say Brazil did still get, go ahead and win and they, they proceed. There'd have been two of their best players out for the next game or two, especially if it's a violent conduct. So it could have changed the whole aspect of that World Cup. Brazil could maybe have not gone on to win it. It would have been somebody else. And maybe we would have pro- progressed further. But hindsight, hindsight, it was the best memories for me. It's, it's a- so, well, sorry, we're going on massive tangents here as well, but I just want to, there's 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 some re- there's some interesting kind of things like that, um, and one that will always start to bore you with more Yugoslavia stuff here, but one that always stands out for me is that in the '98 World Cup in France, and I do you know one of my pet hates is everyone just wanking themselves silly about the Dennis Bergkamp against Argentina goal. I hate that goal. It was a brilliant goal. We took it amazing. I hate that goal because he should have never been playing in that match. The the knockout game previously, Holland very, very edged Yugoslavia in in, in the last minute of extra time. Um, Seydorf scored a, a 25-yarder. But earlier on in, in, in extra time, um, 
a Bergkamp stamped on Mihailovic's face right in front of the linesman and, and nothing was given. And like you say, Don, if, if VAR had existed, there was no way it could have been anything other than a red card. So, yeah, whenever when, whenever that comes up as a clip on Twitter or Facebook or, or whatever and everyone says about, you know, the great World Cup goals and talks about that Bergkamp one, I'm like... It, 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 the goal didn't even happen as far as I'm concerned because Bergkamp shouldn't have been on the pitch. Uh, you, you could even argue that England have been involved in two of the, the most controversial, obviously, Maradona, uh, stood, and Lampard. Yeah, I mean, was the Lampard one one of the, the big reasons we ended up with goal line technology? Yeah, Lampard. Because obviously, to have such a ridiculous decision on the world stage just doesn't look good, does it, for for anyone. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know... I mean, but to be fair, we, we were absolutely dreadful in that game. <laughs> Didn't deserve it, anything. It wouldn't have... Well, you, you, ne- you never know. I mean, we've, it would have been coming back from 2-0 down uh, to 2-2. So, it might have made a difference with momentum. But, no, we... Right, the right team went out in that game. Anyway, I think we should move on. We, we're going to move on real quick for this World Cup. I don't know if you guys saw the game. Uh, in the Champions League, I think it was, where they were trying to test the World Cup goal line technology and the cameras for VAR and everything, where the guy was so far offside. Yeah, the semi-automated VAR. As they're attacking, they didn't see the the one player that put the guy offside because he was off in the corner and a camera could not pick him up. So this goal stood. And everybody was screaming, yeah, but this guy was off because of this, because of this. And this is the technology that's supposed to be perfect. So they're like, oh, we, we messed up. We didn't have a camera that can catch those areas and those angles. So hopefully they've tested all this crap and it's actually going to work properly in this World Cup. So move on, Dylan. Okay, perfect. Let's go. Let's move on to the six Fulham players uh, going to this year's World Cup. Uh, we've got six players spread across four teams, two from Wales, which are Harry, who are Harry Wilson and Dan James, two rapid wingers, of course. Uh, two from the USA, we've got the defensive stalwart Tim Ream, uh, brick wall at the back, and Anthony Robinson, who's been much improved this season. And then I'm convinced we have two of the best players in the world right now, uh, Alexander Mitrovic, obviously going with Serbia, and uh, Joao Polina, maybe the best midfielder I've ever seen, going with Portugal. Um... Well, I guess, how do you think these guys are going to fare? Wales and USA, obviously in the same group with England and uh, Iran. So there's a good chance that one of them, or maybe both, will uh, progress. But uh, yeah, out of those sides, who do you see going the furthest? Okay, as the American, since uh, Baldwin's not here to defend Wales, I think we're completely up in the air. Uh, I think obviously England's going to get number one and they're going to go through, okay? Who gets two and three is hard to say. Um, We are just not an attacking team right now, or we just haven't figured out progressing forward. So I personally, I think Wales is going to come in second. We'll end up in third. That's my thoughts. And Iran first and England fourth. Exactly. I, I, th- I think from England's point of view, there'd almost be disappointment if they're not winning all three games, really. I think you'd expect them to. I'm I'm with Don. I think actually player for player, the US have got a, a, a good 
squad, but I I think they lack a bit of balance, and I think their their, their results recently haven't been good, and 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 for that I'd probably go. I think it's a little bit of a coin toss, but I'd probably edge towards Wales. So I'd, I'd probably go exactly the same order as Don there in that group. I think Wales would probably scrape through. The other thing to remember for the States is we've got a lot of injuries. Okay, Now, because of those injuries and because of, uh, I guess the best thing I could say, our U.S. national coach is a lot like Scott Parker or uh, Southgate. We, we don't have any consistency when we put these teams together, and a lot of them haven't played together. So Tim Ream, believe it or not, even though he's 35, he's got a good chance of maybe getting in and, and playing some of these matches and seeing some time. And the reason being is because we don't have a set center back pairing right now that is locked in, you know, especially on the left back. The, the right side, it's pretty much there, but the left is completely up in the air. So Tim Ream has a good chance of, of playing, believe it or not. And then Anthony, I think he's locked in. He'll, he'll be our left back unless something hey, drastic Don. happens. No, that's all right. No, Don, I was just going to say, um, I think there's every chance that the two of them cancel each other out and draw against each other. And then I, in this group uh, especially, goal difference could be key. Because uh, I could see their results uh, being identical, uh, both both losing to England, both winning the other game and drawing against each other. And then it could come down to the margins within games, you know, who wins by more, who concedes more, you know. Um, I, I'm going to go, I think USA will shade it. I, I can see them drawing, but I think USA will shade it. I think the, the England-Wales game has a lot of... Right, um, Obviously, more sentiment riding on it. Um, I think England could beat Wales by a bigger score. Well, fingers and toes crossed. That's all I'll say. Obviously, another of our players going is Mitrovic. Um, been in fine form for Fulham this season. Over the last couple of weeks, well, say last couple of weeks, last couple of months, really, since that sort of international break at the end of September, he's suffered with a few injury problems. Uh, Tristan, how far do you think Serbia are going to go this uh this tournament and how how big a role is he going to play in any progression that Serbia have? Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I think his fitness is 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 the question. I think the one thing, and I can't, and and you're going back to those kind of Yugoslav years. The the last time I can remember where there's the the the, the strength in depth up top, and you know, so Mitro's out. They've got you know Vlajevic, who's 22 and one of the most highly rated sort of up and coming strikers in the world. Um, and then if he's not available, you've got, you know, a guy who's a year older than him, who was signed by Real Madrid three seasons ago for 60 million in Luka Jovic. So, and he's not even getting near the the, the, the starting 11 generally. So there's a lot of strength in depth there. Um, I think going forward and, 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 and on the wings, they look great. So, I, I, but defensively, they're a bit iffy. I, I, I think the group, they're in, you'd expect Brazil to, to, to probably win it. And it'll be similar to the England group, a bit of a bit of a scrap between, I would say, Serbia and Switzerland for, for the second place. I fancy Serbia to edge that. Um the way the draw then pans out and we move on to another player with 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 Polina, they'd likely to play Portugal in the last sixteen. And actually I fancy Serbia there, I think. Um, you know, I I was at the game in Lis- Lisbon and 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 they 
totally outplayed Portugal in their own backyard to qualify. Mitrovic got the last-minute winner there, but they, they were the better team throughout. So I, I, I'll go quarterfinals, I think. Um, I'd, it'd be, uh, that, they'd be doing very well to get to the quarterfinals, but I just have a feeling that they might do. And Stojkovic is a very, very good manager. So I think, they, yeah, they've, they've got a chance there. Dylan, did we hear him right? He thinks Portugal are going to meet Serbia? No, he thinks Serbia are going to beat Portugal. Yeah, but so what I'm hearing is there's a good chance our own player will take out our own player probably really bad in that game, and then we'll be without a striker. And... Wow. Yeah, well, there is a chance then if, if, uh, if you know, the draw pans out, as you say, that um, Polina inflicts uh, an injury on Mitrovic, or the other way around, you know, a, a crafty elbow. Well, what, what I'd say with that is more likely is because it would be the fourth game that Portugal played that Polina would probably be out suspended anyway. By then, because he'll have only had to pick up a couple of yellow cards in the Well, group. I think to pick up yellow cards, he has to be on the pitch, and that is not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, certainly, the feeling in Portugal at the moment is Fernando Santos is more likely to go with either Ruben Neves or William Carvalho in that role. And there just seems to be a lot of unhappiness in around sort of that Portugal squad. And to be honest, I think if Ronaldo is given the nod after everything that's kind of gone on, I can really see that starting to like unravel in quite a, a drastic way. And it really wouldn't surprise me if it, it's so bad that they fail to end up getting out of that group. Mm. It's, it's, it's got smacks of uh, actually with the Ronaldo thing, and you're right. I remember the, the, you know, the World Cup we mentioned earlier when we met up in Berlin and, and, and the Serbia team then had Zsigic and Kesman who'd played all throughout the qualifiers. And then they started Savo Milosevic, who by that point was about 40 but he was on 98 caps before the World Cup had started. And they clearly just wanted to get him to 100 caps. So they went, oh, I was sod the World Cup. After they lost the first game, they were like, oh, bugger it. We'll just give Milosevic games. And, and it's almost a similar thing. And it completely destroyed the team morale because the players that had got them there then were being dropped for someone who hadn't played an international for six years. Uh, Tris, I've got a question for you about um, Serbia and, and, and the Mitrovic injury. Um the last round of international games, why you, you, you've obviously just touched on that they've got strength in depth up front. Um, so why did Mitrovic play in that last game when he was clearly injured? And it's obviously had a knock-on I, effect. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know, mate. I think I. I was. It wasn't just the fact he played. It was the fact that. He played the whole match, I, even they were two 0 up from I think about the fifty fifth minute, and he, he he still played another thirty minutes of the match. It was an important game for Serbia. It had more context than a lot of the the Nations League games would. It meant they had to win that game to be in the second seeding pot for the European draw. There's a whole history with that because I haven't been at a European Championships for 20 years. Mitrovic missed the penalty to stop him getting there last time. So there's there, there's a lot of that in the background. But despite all of that, I'm still surprised he played. I don't think they needed to play him. I thought they had enough about them to, to probably beat Norway, Haaland, you know, even with Haaland anyway. Um, but I have made the point as well on social media a couple of times that I don't, I don't, I think we're overlooking our own culpability in this whole situation with Mitrovic because he, he he started the next game after he came back and then exacerbated the knock against Newcastle and actually since this has been going on he's started four games so I 
I struggle to sit there and go, oh, well, you know, he shouldn't have played for Serbia when actually we've been playing him as well. And it's only been the last couple of weeks that we, we, we haven't done. Yes, the injury happened on international duty, but, um, you know, I, I think it's been badly managed from the Serbian team. And then I don't think we've managed it right either. And I think that's why it's exacerbated. I've got a feeling he, he won't start, he won't take part in the first World Cup game. Um, I, I would hope to see him involved against Cameroon or Switzerland, but I don't think he'll play against Brazil. It's apparently, he's training individually at the moment. He's not training with the rest of the squad. So that, that I think that says something in itself. Perfect. Let's, uh, let's move swiftly on then. Um, there's four ex-Fulham players um, playing in the World Cup this year. Uh, Nico Williams for Wales. Luca De La Torre with the US men's national team as their so-called over... Well, that side of the pond, um, Brian Ruiz with Costa Rica in a group with Spain, Germany and Japan. That'd be tough for them to get out of. But, you know, uh, you know, 2014 it was that they progressed from a group with Italy, Uruguay and England, of course. Um, but a special mention, I think, goes must go to Dennis Adore. You know, left the club in January with uh, Fulham at the top end of the championship table, if not top. Uh, and at age 34, you know, we thought he was going to sort of, you know, wind down a little bit, go back to his native country. But he's now actually keeping clean sheets for fun in the Champions League against teams like Atletico Madrid. You know, maybe that's a little bit of uh, vengeance for the past there. And he's now got himself a World Cup call up with Ghana, which is, uh, yeah, really impressive and couldn't have happened to a nicer guy if I uh, said so myself. Um, guys, any, any of you think there's any Fulham players? Hard done by not to get a call up for this tournament. I guess my main one would be Bern Leno. I know Germany have some quite strong goalkeepers available to them, you know, principally Manuel Neuer and Mark Andre to Stegen. But I think Leno's done really well for us this season. A bit difficult to judge so far whether he's been better or not than Ariola, you know, in the last Premier League campaign we had. But uh, I certainly think he could have been in with a shout. If you're England, you got to say Reed, right? Oh, yeah. That's what I was coming on to. Yeah, Harrison Reed. Um, obviously, Gareth Southgate had that uh, provisional 55-man squad, and I highly doubt he was actually in that. But I think, you know, given the lack of natural... Everyone else was. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I was in it. Yeah, well, I, th- I think Ivan Tony had a bet on you being in it. Um, um, yeah, well, given the lack of natural cover for Declan Rice, um, at, you know, in that central defensive midfield position, um, you know, bar Calvin Phillips, you haven't really got anyone who naturally goes there. So I think Reed would have been a great option had Phillips not made the... Uh, the final cut, but as it is, you know that's uh, he's he's missed out, and I think he can feel hard done by. Um, obviously, a great caliber of player in the England squad that's travelled, but um, yeah, he's definitely not worse than some of the players we've taken. Uh, guys, anyone else you think I've missed? I, th- I think um, for me, I think Harrison Reed. As much as I love him, I think his form come too soon, uh, come too too um, late, if you like. You know, I mean. When you compare him to the other players that have gone, his, his lack of top-flight experience, um, and he is uncapped. Southgate isn't exactly the most daredevil of managers. Uh, he, he, I think all the, the choices he makes are quite calculated and safe. And I think Harrison Reed is quite a risk, quite a question mark. It, can he do it at that level? Uh, I'm not certain... I mean, I'd love to think he could, but if I took off my my Fulham hat and was honest, I think he's probably 
got to have the next couple of years really turn it on to to get into that conversation. Um, the fact that there was a 55-man squad and he probably wasn't in it um, probably tells you how far away he is. But he probably should be closer than he than he is in reality. But I I think it's a big ask to to I think to, to say he should have gone to the World Cup. I think there's quite a few players in front of him, unfortunately. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree um, with that. It's only been 14 games for him this yeah. season. And it, while he's been excellent, that's not really enough time to force yourself into the international setup, especially in that position. Like maybe sort of a, maybe an attacking midfielder, sort of scoring quite a few goals. That's the kind of sort of player who might make a sort of a late, a late dart into the squad. But yeah, I think, uh, as you say, Dan, Maybe another season and a half sort of playing at that same level and he might be in with a shout of the Euros. Yeah, I'm 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 with you both. I I kind of almost um treat the calls for Reed for England with the same credibility as, you know, back in the day Horsefield for England. <laughs> Those know, are I, real. I just don't think he's quite he's <laughs> I don't think he's quite he's quite there yet. He's 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 Coming on leaps and bounds. I, I really like Harrison. I think he's a great player, but he's he's not um, he's, he's he's not England international level. I don't think yet. Um, and I think it, it uh, yeah. I don't think a call up would help him particularly. I think it could, could only really damage his confidence if 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 he didn't if he wasn't outstanding or he did you know he was called up didn't get any minutes and that that sort of thing. So yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. I think I don't think he's quite there. Uh, what what about William? I know I know his age. Uh, I'd say both the Brazilians, mate. I, I I think they both that you could you could make a claim for both of them. I think Pereira has been very effective this season, and I think you know someone posted the stats on Twitter that he's he's got better actually output statistically than than a couple of the players that are playing in 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 the same position that are included in the squad this year. Um, and William, I think, he's been a revelation, hasn't he? He's, he you, you know we all knew. But he was technically a very good player, but his attitude, his application, his on-field intelligence, all of those things have just been outstanding. And I, I like, I, you, you know, he's a player that I've warmed to very quickly, and I, I, I enjoy watching him play. Um, you know, the, I thought it really started coming through at Forest. I thought he had a very, very good game at, at, at Forest, and he just seems to have got better and better since then. So yeah, no, I, 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 I think thirty-four. Um, probably plays against him, but I don't. I, you know, I, I I would have said that's a more re- realistic shout than Reed. To be honest, when Tristan said both Brazilians, I thought he was uh, making a shout for Carlos Vinicius in instead of Neymar, which I'm totally for. I think, I think the only other one I can think of uh, that was sort of like he he might have thought he had a chance was Kenny Tete. Uh, I know he's got a few caps. He sort of like drifted in and out of the the Dutch squad, but from a defensive point of view, I mean, there can't be many better fullbacks than him. Uh, I know he has injuries. Maybe he doesn't offer enough going forward in international level. I mean, Holland. You know, may, maybe Holland are just if he, if he was from uh, you know a nation that was maybe lesser, you know, didn't have as many players to pick. Uh, I think he would have had a better chance. So. I I I also, I also don't think that you can necessarily if you've got a twenty-three man squad and you 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 know your positions you're probably are going to, only going to have two or three 
fullbacks in the squad, you can't take one that's made of glass. And he probably would injure himself waiting for his luggage <laughs> to come round the fit. You know, like seriously, he just he, he, the the amount of injury time the guy has. I don't. I I think there's a natural aversion to taking players that spend so much time injured because you, you're just using up a, a valuable squad. Only taking on two or three fullbacks. Is, is there some sort of world out there that exists where the, the manager doesn't take four right backs? I'd love to, I'd love to know where that is. <laughs> it is actually 26 in the squad now. So I think there is the luxury for, for more oh, right backs. Right. Oh, yeah, you might, you might, you might get eight <laughs> I mean, right backs. In, in a similar <laughs> position, I'd, I'd say that the fact that Kevin Mbabu's Fulham career hasn't taken off has probably cost him a place with Switzerland at the World mm. Cup. Um, I feel like mm. if he'd have settled in and got some games under his belt, I think he probably would be going. Big shame for Serbia that as well, because I would love to see Filip Kostic running at him. I'd like from from what we've seen at Fulham, I would because Kostic is absolute lightning, and and I'd love to see him taking on Mbabu down that left down his left hand side. It's yeah, that'd be. Um, that would be a good match-up for Serbia, I think. Two other ex-Fulham players travelling to the World Cup this year are Joachim Anderson with Denmark, now Crystal Palace, of course, and Andre Frank, Zambo Anguissa, of course, uh, with Cameroon, meaning he may come up against Alexander Mitrovic in the group stage with Serbia. Uh, well, moving on now, and here at Focus Towers, we've been uh, putting our heads together to come up with a, a Fulham World Cup XI. I'm going to hand over to Dan, who's going to explain a bit more about this and uh, the selections he's made. Yeah, I wasn't sure which criteria to to go with for a World Cup eleven because I suppose it's, it's quite subjective. Um, but And there's not actually that big a pool of, of, of players to pick from if you make it about players that were actually contracted to Fulham at the time. So what I've done is I've come up with through a bit of research I've come up with an 11 of the players that weren't necessarily at Fulham at the time they just represented Fulham at some point in their career and per position the ones that have gone the furthest in a World Cup tournament now I did reasonable research but I might have let one or two slip so if I did feel free to correct us on on uh, social media when this goes out but this is your Fulham World Cup eleven of players that have achieved the most in a World Cup. Okay, goalkeeper Alphonse Ariola is the goalkeeper. He won it with France in 2018, despite not even kicking a ball, catching a ball, picking a ball out of the net. Did in fact, right? Fun fact for you: he's the second player ever to win the World Cup without being capped. He's an un, he was uncapped for France when they won it. Literally no caps before it, sat on the bench the whole time. But he's a winner, he's a goalkeeper. Your back four. Feet, everyone can guess the right back, pretty the most obvious one. Mr. George Cohen, uh, played every minute of every game when England won it in 66. Alongside him, of course, you've got Bobby Moore as well. Captain, 1966. Runner-up in 2010, Johnny Heitinger with Holland. Was actually sent off in the final, but played in every game for Holland that year. And left-back, and this one's a little bit charitable because of all the positions, is the only one that didn't get further than the quarterfinals. Wayne Bridge, 
quarterfinals in 2002 and 2006. But as far as left-backs go, he was the furthest I could find. Now, midfield, been a bit creative here because you'll find out when I read out the bench. There was one player I, I really didn't want to put in the team. So I've juggled it about and we've got one holding midfielder. I was sort of playing like a, a diamond, an attacking diamond. Uh, but Moussa Dembele for Belgium, third place in 2018. He's in the holding role. On the wings, you've got Andre Schürrle, who won it with Germany in 2014. And Ryan Babel, who was a runner-up with Holland in 2010. And playing behind the strikers, so in front of Dembele, we've got Willian, who was fourth place with Brazil in 2014. Now, strikers. Okay, we've got, I mean, on paper, this, this wouldn't be a, a bad partnership. Karl-Heinz Riedler, who won it with Germany in 1990. And Louis Sahar, who was runner-up with France in 2006. Now, the subs. We've gone double Dutch with goalkeepers. We've got Martin Stecklenburg, who was runner-up, played in the final in 2010. Uh, and Edwin Vadasar, who finished fourth in 1998. Defender in, on the bench for your Fulham World Cup eleven, Paul Parker, who come fourth with England in 1990. Yeah, no surprises that this is the guy I, I tried to keep out of the eleven, Ruben Loftus-Cheek who finished fourth with England in 2018. Just didn't feel right to do a Fulham World Cup 11 and, and have him in there. It just, it just didn't feel right. Uh, Peter Beardsley also finished fourth with England in 1990. You've got Lewis Balmorte, fourth place with Portugal in 2006. And, I mean, fair play to anyone who's playing along and, and, and is, is ahead of me and has already named this player. Fourth place in 2002 for his home nation, home tournament for South Korea, Shao Ki-hyun. Played every game in that tournament. So there you go. That, that's your World, Fulham World Cup eleven based on achievement. Um, I, the, the, there's one that, because you've only got one player that made the quarterfinal in bridge, but there's one player that I'd probably look just because he was a guy, again, he's older. So... But Ray Alton, the quarterfinals of Ireland yeah. in oh, in Listen, if if you want if you want to if you've got all day and you want me to list you some quarterfinalists, I had I had to uh, draw the line somewhere. But you've got John Pansil, quarterfinal with 2010. He was actually a Fulham player at the time. Alan Mullery, quarterfinal in 1970. Booba Diop, quarterfinals in 2002. Johnny Haynes, quarterfinals in 1962. He was actually the captain of that tournament uh, and come third place in the Ballon d'Or that year. So, big year for Johnny. Uh, Ray Houghton, quarterfinals in 1990. Uh, Bjarni Goldbeck, quarterfinals in 98. Eddie Lewis, 2002, quarterfinals with the USA. Brian Ruiz, quarterfinals in 2014, the year he scored against England. And Brian McBride, quarterfinals in 2002. There you go. If you can find any more out there, feel free to let me know. But And I know times have changed. We've got probably enough room on the bench for all those players now. But I thought, no, we'll draw the line somewhere. And somehow Bridge just managed to sneak in because the only other left-back I could think of was Carlos Salcedo. And he only got to the last 16 with Mexico. So there you go. 
Very good, Dan. You're full in World Cup 11. Thank you very much. I'll take a bow and I will hand back to your host, Dylan. Okay, uh, we're going to jump into some predictions now. Um, I'm looking for a winner, a dark horse and a golden boot winner from each of you. I'll go with the order Sam, Don, Tristan and Dan. Uh, That's just the order you can see on my screen. So, yeah, Sam, we'll start with you. Do you just want the winner for now? Yeah, just your overall winner. Well, I do think it's a very open field this time around. There doesn't seem to be one clear side that the team to beat. Um, and for that reason, maybe I'm, I'm sort of looking at emotional factors. Uh, and I'm wondering whether Lionel Messi can win it with Argentina. However, I just feel Netherlands may be a better bet. Uh, I really sort of like the team that Louis van Gaal has put together. Um for his swan song before he uh, he retires. And they seem to be in really good form, had a really good Nations League. And if they win their group, which they should do, and rack up some, uh, some confident-boosting wins, then that will put them, that will, should put them against Argentina, which would be a great spectacle. But I think then the winner comes from that match. Uh, and I think it will be the Netherlands. Uh, Dark Horse? Yeah, I mean, everyone seems to be picking Denmark as a Dark Horse and I kind of wonder at what point they they can no longer be considered that. So I actually feel like I'm going to go the other way and pick a team that have been tipped up pretty much for every tournament the last 10 years in Belgium um, because nobody's talking about them anymore. Everyone kind of feels as though their golden generation has come to an end. Uh, players have either retired or been constantly injured or have been sent to the glue factory in the case of Lukaku. And there only really seems to be De Bruyne and arguably Courtois who are playing at the top of their game. But I just feel there's a nice sort of blend of, of youth and experience in that side now. And... If they get through their group in first place ahead of Croatia, that's that's the side of the draw to be on. And they've arguably got quite a good run then to the semis where they may face England. And I could just see somebody like Trossard or De Bruyne getting the better of England in the semi-finals. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll pick those as dark horse. Nobody to talking about Belgium this year. And who would your pick for the the golden boot be? Again, that's um, that's a massively Massively wide open field. I, I, I'd i love it to be messy. If it can't be an England player, if it can't be England winning it, and if it can't be an England player booking a golden boot, I'd love it to be messy. But, I mean, if you're looking from a a sort of a long shot in terms of a betting perspective, I really like Cody Gakpo with the Netherlands, assuming they do have the good tournament that I think they're going to have. He's had a, a, a great season. Um, and there are question marks over the Pies fitness, so I feel he could get a run in that side. And it, like I say... Um, group games against Qatar and Senegal, who we know don't have uh, Sadio Mane, um, and Ecuador. And I just feel like there's the opportunity there for, for a few goals. Perfect. Don, how about you? Uh, a winner, dark horse, and the golden boot winner. I, I lean towards Brazil winning, but obviously the you know story that everybody would really like to see is Messi-Argentina, Messi's last uh, tournament, blah, blah, blah. I could see him even being the golden boot winner. So if you're going to do that, uh, I, I think Brazil 
messy. Dark Horse, I still think Denmark. Uh, uh, um, I don't know why. I just, I think they could be the one that kind of throws a monkey wrench in there for people. So, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So, some great shouts in there. Tristan, how about you? Um, winner's quite tough. Um, actually, as Sam said, it's quite open. I've got a feeling about, again, everyone's talking about Brazil. People are talking about, you know, Argentina, France with Mbappe and stuff like that. But those fuckers that you just can't ever count out, I just got a funny feeling about Germany this year. I think they could be a, be a force again. So I'll go with Germany for the winners. Um, Dark Horse, I mean, the, the obvious one would be Serbia, but there's so many people. Like, so many people picking Serbia as the dark horse, kind of similar to Denmark, that I just don't feel like they are a dark horse anymore, if, if there's so many people saying. Looking at the groups, and I think Sam's been very, very clever with the, the, the top scorer, because like if you look at that Holland group, there's goals for fun in there. And I've, I saw Serbia against Qatar not long ago, and they are shocking. So I can, you can see Holland sticking five or six past them. Um, but in a similar vein, I like Uruguay's route. And they're a handy side, and I think they could they could go a long way. So, so they Uruguay are going to be my my dark horse, and I've got to do something with Serbia, haven't I? So, um, you know, Golden Boot, I'm going to hedge my bets. If Mitrovic is fit, then Mitro. If he's not, then Vlajevic. And there you go. Lovely, Dan. How about you? Yeah, I've, I've I feel like I'm nicking it off of Tristan now, but my dark horse was Uruguay as well. Um, I think. You know, traditionally, they're always there or thereabouts, despite never being the favourites. Their, their record in the World Cup is pretty pretty solid. Um, and if you look at the group they're in, I, I mean, we've touched on the, the, the turmoil in the Portugal camp, uh, Ghana and, and, and Korea Republic. I, I, I fancy Uruguay to win that group. If they do win it, and I think a lot rides on them winning it, they will play the runner-up of the Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon group. And no offence, Tris, I, I think I think that's quite a favourable tie for a last 16. So if they win the group, I fancy them to, to be the dark horses, maybe get to the semi-finals. Um, winner, I'm going to go for France. Uh, they're, they're, they are the third favourites. They, they won the last World Cup. don't know. I, I just... I, I I just think you know certain certain countries they either flop very early or they go all the way um, and I just got a feeling it's going to be France this year again and Golden Boot a bit boring I'm going to go for Harry Kane because I think unlike other uh, some other countries I think he's basically our our only hope for goals I think he takes penalties uh, if he's fit he's going to play ninety minutes. Regardless, I don't think there'd be any kind of rotation. I don't think there is any other option. Um, yeah, and I think we're very reliant on him, heavily reliant on him to score goals. So, and I think England have got quite a favourable group. So there's a chance for him to get off to a quite a good start. So a bit of a boring pick, but France to win it. Harry Kane, Golden Boot, Uruguay, Dark Horse. Lovely. I'll race through mine quickly. Um, I think the winner... 
I'm going to split it between England and Netherlands. England just because if you can't be opt optimistic now, then when can you be? Plus, I think we do have a decent chance, really. We've got a great squad. And Netherlands, I just really like. Um, writing my dissertation about them at the moment, so it would be really handy if they could pull something out of the bag here. Dark Horse. Um, I think I'm going to go for Spain, you know. Uh, obviously, they're still a great side, and um, maybe not so much of a dark horse, but nobody seems to really be mentioning them amongst the... Uh, the title sort of favourites. Well, I think they could shock a few people along the way. Uh, and a golden boot winner. I was thinking Lukaku to start with, just looking at the groups. But I also think Neymar might be a middle shout. Obviously, he'd been in great form for PSG. So I think they'd be my picks. I'll go with England to win. Um, well, I'm looking at the groups. A very dark horse, I think, a very dark horse could be... Hmm. I'm going to pick Poland. There we go. Lewandowski, you never know. With him up front, anything's possible. There's always goals, and they've got some good players behind him. Matty Cash as well. So, um, yeah, if you want another dark horse, an even darker horse in Spain, uh, look no further than Poland. Robert Lewandowski's never scored a World Cup goal. Ah. I mean, only three games, well, to be fair. But... First time for everything. First time for everything. Um, hopefully an England-Poland final now. Okay, uh, that wraps up this bit of the show. Join us after the break when we'll be uh, undertaking our very own World Cup quiz. Fulham. Hello and welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that uh, nice short break. Uh, welcome to our podcast World Cup quiz. Um, there is a total of 11 points to play for and I'm going to hand you over to our very own quiz master, Dan, to give you, the audience, the questions. Uh, Okie dokie, right. So, uh, listeners benefit at home if you are playing along. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give the guys on the show uh, a few seconds in between each question to write their answers down. So, make sure you've got pen and paper uh, and pause it in between because obviously we're going to read it out the dead air. Okay, we've got five questions, 12 points to play for. I'll let you know how much each question is worth. Uh, and here we go. Question one. This one's worth one point. In the 2006 World Cup final, Zinedine Zidane received a red card for infamously headbutting which player in the chest? That's worth one point. Question two. How many players have captained England at the World Cup? And by that, we mean the official England captain of the tournament, not someone, the captain gets taken off for five minutes and someone else gets the armband. The official captain of the tournament. And the clue, Qatar 2022 will be England's 16th time at the World Cup finals. Question three. Rio Ferdinand and Sol Campbell were England's first choice centre-back pairing in 2002, but which two of these five defenders was not in the 23-man squad as backup? So I'm going to list you five defenders now. Three of them were in that squad behind Campbell and Ferdinand. Two are wrong, so this is worth two points. You tell me who the two wrong ones are. Martin Keown, Gareth Southgate, Ledley King... Jonathan Woodgate and Wes Brown. So that's Martin Keown, Gareth Southgate, Ledley King, 
Jonathan Woodgate and Wes Brown. Three of those were in the 2002 World Cup squad with Ferdinand and Campbell. Two of them weren't. Who were the two wrong ones? Question four. This one's worth three points. After breaking Fulham hearts in the Europa League final, Diogo Forlan finished joint top scorer at the 2010 World Cup with five goals. Name the three players who finished joint top with him. So you can have a point for each player. So after breaking Fulham hearts in the Europa League final, Diego Forlan finished joint top scorer at the 2010 World Cup with five goals. Name the three players who finished joint top with him. And if it helps jog your memory, Forlan missed out on winning the Golden Boot because it went to one of the other three based on assists, which seems very harsh, but that's how they determined the Golden Boot. And question five, this is worth five points. Name the five countries who have hosted a World Cup but didn't qualify for the Qatar 2022 finals. Okie doke, right. Like I said, make sure you give yourself enough time to, get, to put your answers down. And on the other side of this, we will reveal the answers. Fulham. Okay, guys, right. Let's start with question one. In the 2006 World Cup Finals, Enzine Zidane received a red card for him famously headbutting which player in the chest? Who have you gone for? The Italian. Materazzi. That's the only question I'm going to get, Joe. Materazzi. All right, yeah, that's correct. For for a bonus point, what does Zidane call his mother? (laughs) Marco Materazzi is the correct answer. Or was it the other way around, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Marco Materazzi is the answer. So, well done if you got that. That's one point. Okay. Question two. How many players have captained England at a World Cup? What? What? Give me some numbers. Come on. I, I've guessed at 11. Okay. Oh, I went for nine. Right. Just back him out a few. Sam? I had nine as well. Done? No clue. Seven. Okay. Oh. Very unlucky, some of you. The answer is ten. And these these are your England captains: Billy Wright, captained England at their first three tournaments. Then he handed it over to Johnny Haynes in 1962. Then you had Bobby Moore did the next two. Uh, then England didn't qualify for a couple. So then you have Mick Mills in 1982, Brian Robson in 86 and 90, Alan Shearer in 98. Beckham in 2002 and 2006, John Terry 2010, Gerard 2014, and Harry Kane. So that's your 10 captains. Okay, question three. This is worth two points. Um, name the the t- two wrong wrong defenders out of the five. Who did you go for, I know, guys? I, I know Woodgate didn't go, so I've got him. And I know Keown did. So he's not in it. So I've guessed with the second one and gone for Wes Brown, but I don't. I, that's a complete guess. So Woodgate and Brown, I've right. gone for. Okay. I guessed that Ledley King just because he was always injured. And um, Woodgate. Yeah. Okay. Done. I, again, I, I have no clue. So <laughs> me guessing is just ridiculous. 
<laughs> Move on. <laughs> Southgate. Well, I definitely think tries. Southgate. No, um, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, the correct answer is Ledley King and Jonathan Woodgate. So there you go. Well done if you got those two. That's two points. Question four. After breaking Fulham Hearts in the Europa League final, Forland finished joint top scorer in the 2010 World Cup with five goals. Who were the other three joint top goal scorers with him? Any names? I've, I've, I'm very confident with Thomas Muller. Yeah, I've got Muller. I've, I've also got David Villa. I've, I've got Villa. I, went, I put um, Schneider. I've I've gone for Ah Schneider's a good see I I couldn't I so I went Muller Villa and then I couldn't think of the third I I remember Closer getting a few so I've gone Miroslav Closer but it seems unlikely that two Germans would be I tell you what on five. I I knew Tristan and and Sam were Fulham or football encyclopedias but I'm really impressed the first three names that come out of your maths is the three written down it's David Villa um, Thomas Muller and Wesley Snyder. That's the three. And How many did Closer get? Just as a matter of interest, I'm going to have to look that up. I haven't now. got a clue. Uh, and <laughs> not close enough. <laughs> I got four. he got four. It was a good shout. It was a good shout. To be fair, oh, and well. uh, Muller won it on uh, assists, so he got the golden boot. Right. And question five. This one was worth five points. Name the five countries who have hosted a World Cup but didn't qualify for Qatar 2022. Any names? Come on. I only know two. That's uh, South Africa and Russia. Yeah, both there. Um, Yeah, Italy, obviously. Italy. Bit of a shock that they didn't qualify, but yeah, Italy's there. Chile. Chile. And did anyone say Sweden? I've got Sweden. Sweden, yeah. Yeah. So that's your fire. Sweden, 1958. Chile, 1962. South Africa, 2010. Russia, 2018. And Italy, 1990. They actually hosted it a couple of times. So yeah, that's your your five. So out of 12, mark yourself. What would you get, guys? Woohoo, I got three. I got seven. Seven, that's not bad. I got a, I got a respectable nine. Yeah, I got nine as well. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right, well, uh, see, I knew they, them two would end up cancelling each other out with nine. So, if you did better than them two, fair play, because they are pretty annoying when it comes to football knowledge. They know everything. Okay, so, yeah, that's it. I mean, I'll hand back to Dylan, and there we go. Thanks very much, Dan. I have to say it's slightly ironic that a country named Chile have, have failed to qualify for a, a World Cup being hosted in 30 degree heat, but uh, there you go. Well, that wraps up our, our last podcast until uh, some point in the uh, the hectic festive schedule. We'll have uh, games against Crystal Palace, Southampton and Leicester to look forward to then. But in the meantime, if you're missing your daily Fulham fix, you can follow our social channels. Uh, that is at Fulham Focus on Instagram and Fulham underscore Focus on Twitter. And if you type in Fulham Focus on Google or your search engine of choice, you'll be able to find our website with our latest articles and everything else you might want there. Uh, I guess that leaves me all to say is, Tristan, enjoy your time out in Qatar. Try not to bump into any Croats on the cruise ship. And, uh, yeah, I guess the best 
wishes for a lovely festive season, happy World Cup to all the listeners at home. It's been a pleasure. See you next time.